If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll be looking at a few other places as well this morning, but here's where we'd like to start Ecclesiastes. Uh, Psalms is in the middle of your Bible, Proverbs follows it, and then the book of Ecclesiastes is right behind it. Ecclesiastes was written by a mature sage, Solomon, toward the end of his life as he reflected back on the things that he had learned over the course of his lifetime. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I want to read uh, just the first eight verses there, and we're going to pop over toward chapter 12, so if you want to look that up as well, and then just slip a finger in there or a pen or something, and uh, we'll move right over there after we read this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And I want to just concentrate on those first uh, verse, couple of verses. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. And then over to chapter 12, and the first little bit of verse 1, Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. And then over to verse 6, Remember him before the silver cord is severed. Now the Bible talks in pictures. In the passage that Dr. J read for us earlier, there were talks about we live in this tent, but there's an eternal dwelling. And that was talking about our bodies. Uh, verse 6 says, remember him before the silver cord. We have all these word pictures, and the word pictures all refer to death. Remember him before the silver cord is severed, or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring. These are all things that are, when they're finished, they're finished, and the dust returns, or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. There are some sobering realities that you and I need to face from time to time. By now you've probably heard about the people who died in the movie theater at the shooting in Colorado. Many more were injured. You heard about the shooting and the people who died at the street party in Toronto recently. And you may have heard of the RCMP officer who died in a collision with the moose this week. He and his family had just recently moved away from Nipawin. In fact, I saw him at the fair in town here on Tuesday night. His two older children attended our Awana clubs for many years. I read a story this week about a young boy, 11 years old. We prayed for the Bible camps, 11 years old. 
was at a Bible camp in Grand Forks, B.C. Storm came along, tree fell on his cabin, and he died. And none of these people were expecting to die. The reality is that unless the Lord comes back, the odds are 100% that you and I are going to die. There is a time for that. We don't know when. We don't know how, but there is a time for that. The Bible says there is a time to be born and there is a time to die. We're going to die. Whether you like it or not, whether you plan for it or not, whether you're ready for it or not, you and I someday are going to die. Don't know when or how, but God determines those things. Brian, if you could fire that first slide up. Uh, and so what happens when we die? I want to take you this morning through a little bit of scripture because sometimes even in, in Christian circles there is confusion. Now, I, I'm not the authority. I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. But here's my understanding. So what happens with we die, when we die? Well, we need to start with the basics. And one of those basics that we need to start with is that the Bible speaks with authority. We need to formulate our thinking on death and what happens after death on what Scripture says. Think about this. Scripture is going to violate tradition. Whatever your traditions are, Scripture will probably violate your tradition. Scripture will violate religion. What the organized religions of this world teach, sometimes Scripture violates that because very often the teachings that we have or religions have is based on tradition. Scripture is going to violate entertainment. Whatever the movies, the books, the videos are going to say when you watch uh, the entertainment industry and what its depiction is of life after death. There was a video on the web this week about a doctor who died and, and she said, you know, she said she saw angels. She was kayaking someplace in South America and, uh, and died apparently and was brought back to life. But whatever entertainment says, Scripture will violate superstition. Whatever superstitions you may have or whatever things people may say, Scripture will violate that. Scripture supersedes your imagination. Whatever you imagine, whatever you can conjure up in your mind, Scripture needs to violate or supersede that. Scripture supersedes romanticization. People will romanticize death. I hear it all the time. I think my grandpa or my uncle or whatever is watching me from heaven and is smiling down on me. That's romanticizing what death is. Scripture violates hypothesization. Whatever, you, whatever theories you come up with, you can hypothesize till the cow comes home, but Scripture is what needs to formulate our understanding of what happens when we die. Scripture is going to violate experiences. If you have an experience that violates Scripture, you're wrong. Because Scripture is the ultimate test, and Scripture violates visions. Whatever vision you may have, Scripture becomes the ultimate test. Now, I'm going to take you to a vision in Scripture, but it's in Scripture. And so, 
the Bible becomes the measuring tape or the measuring tool by which we measure absolutely everything else. And it doesn't, if it doesn't measure up to Scripture, if it violates Scripture, we need to toss it. Our formulation of, of what happens after death needs to be solidly based on Scripture because it's all we have. After that, it's simply a guessing game. So we need to start with the basics. The Bible speaks with authority, final authority. The Bible trumps absolutely everything else. If you have a vision, I remember someone saying, uh, I don't care what the, someone had written in the flyleaf of his Bible. I don't care what the Bible says. I had an experience. That's wrong. If my experience doesn't match up to what the Bible says, then my experience is false. So, the Bible speaks with authority. Basic fact number two, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Not most of it, not some of it. Jesus absolutely paid it all. He didn't make a down payment. The Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit is like a down payment, but Jesus paid it all. When you and I die, we don't have to go someplace and finish paying or pay up the last little bit that is yet owing. We don't have to suffer. We can't ever pay enough. There is no purgatory where you have to pay or to suffer to get out, or someone else has to pay for you to get out of there. Jesus paid it all, totally, completely. When he said it is finished, the debt is paid. You and I no longer have to pay anything. The choice, you determine what's going to happen to you on this side of death. You cannot change your mind after you die. You cannot go like you buy something at the store and you go back and you say, I changed my mind, I want to return it or exchange it for something else. After you die, if you don't like your destiny, you can't go back and say, excuse me, Lord, can I change that? It is appointed or man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. You cannot change your destiny. Others cannot change it for you. No matter what your relatives or your loved ones or whatever do after you die, your destiny is determined. My destiny is determined before I die. And our choices here will determine our destiny. Go with me to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, you find the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, Jesus often said, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he was telling stories. I don't think this is a story. I think this actually happened. Luke chapter 16, and we're going to start reading there at verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19, the rich man and Lazarus. The Bible says, and Jesus is talking here. Jesus said there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked this man's sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away 
with Lazarus by his side. After you die, there is a division of the dead. The dead are separated. There are two possible places, two. And we'll talk about those in just a little bit. But when we read the rest of the story, you discover something else. So, verse 24, So he called to him, the rich man called to Father Abraham, he said, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, um, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There is no second chance. The situation is permanent. After you die, that's it. And so he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abram replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abram, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. There is a division of the dead after you and I die, but there is no second chance. That situation is permanent. Now there's a little word that is used there, a little word called hell, and I will explain that in just a minute. Here are some of what the Bible has to say uh, about hell. Here are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Matthew 5.22, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which means fool, or idiot, or moron, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, the word that Jesus uses there is the word that was translated Gehenna. It's the word that was used for the garbage dump just outside of Jerusalem where there was always fire. And the garbage and the dead animals were cast out and burned. And it was a fit symbol of the wicked and the future destruction of people. In Matthew 13, uh, Jesus said, The Son of Man will send out his angels. Okay, these are the words of Jesus. And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin. And all who do evil, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 24, 25, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Mark 9.43, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. Mark 9.45, If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. 
Mark 9, 47 and 48, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to, to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, the, the word, the hell that Jesus is talking about here is not yet the lake of fire, and we're going to get to that point. But there is a division of the dead. In Luke chapter 16, the passage that we just read, there was a place of torment, and there was a place of bliss. It's not the eternal state yet. There is a division of the dead, but there is a place of torment. There is a place of bliss as well. Here are some other references to, to hell from James chapter 3. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. 2 Peter 2 verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell. Now this is a different word here. Uh, it is the deepest abyss of hell. Uh, the name of the, here's, here's straight out of the commentary, the name of the subterranean region, doleful and dark, regarded by the ancient Greeks as the abode of the wicked dead, where they suffer punishment for their evil deeds. God, Bible says that God sent angels to hell, um, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. And then in Jude, verses 6 and 7, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Uh, there is a time coming in Revelation when a place called the abyss will be opened, which is where the evil angels are kept uh, until that time. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Now, um, Dave, In Revelation, we read about the lake of fire. And if you go to some of those references, you will discover, and I'm going to show you uh, in, in a little bit a timeline of the way I think end times are going to unfold. Now, that, that's going to be my idea. But, but the Bible says that after the tribulation, after the battle of Armageddon, which is what ends the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, after that battle, the beast and the false prophets who are going to false prophet who are going to be Satan's main main um, assistants are going to be cast into the lake of fire, and Satan will be imprisoned. After then, there will be a thousand years of peace where Christ reigns on earth. During those thousand years, Satan is in prison. After the thousand years are over, there will be a final battle. Then there, Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire himself. And then after that, you have something called the great white throne judgment, where everyone comes back to life. And the Bible says that all those whose names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire. So the lake of fire is not yet in use. So where people are right now, it's a place of torment, but it is not yet the lake of fire. The lake of fire is yet to come. But when the Christian dies, he or she goes to be with Jesus. 
Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Two verses later he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. To die is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. To, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do you believe that? Then why, when the doctor says you're going to die, do you try and do everything that's in your power so that you won't? And I think that's because the Bible in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that the last enemy to be overcome is death. I don't know too many people that say, oh good, I get to die. Some do. My father-in-law was one of those people. But somehow we, we resist that and we try and, uh, and put that off as long as possible. But if to live is Christ and to die is gain, if you desire to be part and be with Christ, which is better by far, why would you not want to go there sooner than later? Now, I'm not suggesting that you, you smoke and, and you, you try and get cancer or, or, or whatever else, or you go drive at, at 180 Ks and, and see how far your car will fly. But there is a, God determines our times. And for the Christian to die is not a bad thing. For an 11-year-old boy to lose his life if he knows Jesus is not a bad thing. If he doesn't know Jesus, it's a horrible tragedy. But here's where faith, the rubber of faith, meets the road of life. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.1, Now we know that if the earthly tent, talking about our body, we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6, We are confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, but we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And here's where the scripture trumps religion. I remember doing a funeral one time for a young man, and this young man had, uh, he was, it was in his early 20s, and he had accepted Christ just a couple of weeks before he passed away. And I used this verse at his funeral, and someone from another church in town wrote me a letter and said, how dare you say that he is with Jesus? And my response was, because the Bible says so. I don't care what your tradition is. I don't care what your religion teaches. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What part of that do you not understand? And when we die, our souls are separated from the bodies and our souls go to be with the Lord. So, here's something I don't know. What does that look like? I don't know. You know, because the Bible says, and we're going to get that to that just a minute, when Christ comes back, 
the people who have died in Christ, who have been Christians, are going to come back with them. Their bodies are going to come up out of the ground, and they're going to kind of morph together in the air. So what do you have before then? Do you get a loner? I don't know. You know, are, are we disembodied spirits? We're present with the Lord. Are, are we like angels that can materialize and dematerialize, appear and disappear? I don't know. Do we? I don't know if we get a loner or, or, or what happens. But for the Christian, being away from the body is a time of bliss. The Bible talks about paradise. Well, when I was a kid, uh, we always talked about the Garden of Eden, about paradise. But it is said of the king of Persia that he had gardens that were called paradises, full of everything beautiful and good that the earth could produce. Uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, adapted this word for the Garden of Edens, which signifies delights. And it accounts for Eden often being called a paradise and may account for the use of the word in the New Testament as denoting a place of happiness and blessing with the Lord. The Lord on the cross <coughs> called the place where the thief would be with him that day paradise. Jesus said, I answer, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise, not down the road today. <coughs> Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. Paul said in, in a vision, he said, I must go on boasting, 2 Corinthians 12. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ, and he's talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. The first heaven is what you and I can see, where the clouds and the birds fly. The second heaven is the stars and the moon. And he, Paul says he was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. Jesus said in Revelation 2.7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So in other words, for the Christian, when we are away from the body, it's a time of bliss. And believers' bodies are resurrected at Christ's return. And our souls will be united with our new bodies in the air. Now here's kind of what, oops, where's this other thing? Here is sort of what I think things are going to look like. Now, if you go and, and study this stuff, there are lots of different opinions on this. And, and bear in mind that I could be wrong. But, maybe not. All right. Let's see. I'll try and get out of people's way here. You and I, there's supposed to be, see that little red dot there? You and I are living in what's called the church age. Somewhere along the line, the tribulation is going to start. It's going to be seven years long. Now, sometime, either at the beginning or the middle or someplace beyond the middle and the end or at the end, huge debate among Christians. Most of us like to camp on, along this arrow number one here. Believe that the rapture is going to happen. What's going to happen at the time of the rapture is that Jesus is going to come down from heaven 
the dead in Christ are going to rise, and we who are left on the earth at the time are going to meet Christ in the air with him. Jesus won't actually come down and touch earth at this time. The second coming happens at the end of the tribulation, after the seven years are over, and then we have what's called the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, at the end of that battle of Armageddon, the beast and the false prophet will be thrown into the lake of fire. Satan is going to be imprisoned. And then we have something called the millennium, which means a thousand. A thousand years where Jesus reigns on earth from Jerusalem. And, and where the earth is going to be totally changed. At the end of those thousand years, Satan is going to be let out for a little while. There will be uh, uh, one final battle. Satan will be cast into the into the lake of fire and then you have what's called the great white throne judgments which you find in revelation 21 which is where the dead great and small stand before god and scripture says that anyone whose name was not found written in the lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire Now, when you read in Revelation about a new heaven and a new earth, about the heavenly Jerusalem coming down, this cube 1,500 miles wide and long and high, and how on earth is that going to work if you know any kind of physics at all? Um, putting a cube like that on a ball that spins just isn't going to work. But God, God's got that figured out. He made the laws of gravity and centrifugal force as well, so I'll let him deal with that. But the new heaven and earth, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the tree of life are all part of God's creation that happens after the final war, after that final war, after those thousand years are over. And so how do we wrap this up? I don't know if any of the people that died this past week knew Jesus. I know that RCMP officer sat through many, a lot of sparks, presentations, and wind-ups where the gospel was preached, where he heard the good news. And God knows his heart. I don't. But the decisions you and I need to make that decision on this side of eternity. The good news is this. 1 John 5, 11, 13. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. You can pick. I was talking to a funeral director one time and and he said, I hope that I'm good enough to go to heaven. And I said to him, you know what? That choice is up to you. He said, you mean I get to decide that? I said, yeah, you do. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. It's not rocket science. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Two ways. You pick. 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, not guess, not hope, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And if you have asked Jesus to forgive your sin, if you say, Lord, I know that I can't save myself, I accept the fact that you paid the price for me, the Bible says you have, you know, you can know that you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. It's not, you don't need a huge IQ. You don't need a high school diploma or a university degree. You simply need to believe that Jesus died for you. Some of the details I'm not too sure about. And I'm not too worried about it. You see, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I'll let him work out some of the details. I don't know what it's going to look like. If it's going to be better, I want it. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. I believe that. I trust that Jesus died for my sins. The only reason I'm going to get into heaven is because Jesus paid it all for me and for you. And I believe that. And I trust in that. And I've got all my eggs in that one basket that says, it's on the cross of Calvary. The price was paid. Jesus said, it was finished. It's done. It's over. Now, it's easy for me to talk because no one has said to me, put your house in order, you're going to die this week. I don't know that. I could. I could die this afternoon. I could die next week, next month. I, I don't know. But to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I trust that, that you and I have a sense of comfort but also there is a sense of urgency. If you haven't made that decision, you need to make that decision. If you know someone that needs to make that decision, you need to talk to somebody and say, look, it's not rocket science. I know people choose to believe all kinds of other things because they don't like what the Bible says. And they may be sincere, but according to Scripture, they're sincerely wrong. So please, don't be confused. Don't be afraid. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's going to be really weird. You know, like, like, I mean, there's my wife. I've been married to her for 40 years. So she says we're always going to be special to each other, but what about my mom and my sister and all of you ladies? Like, what, what? I don't know what it's, it's going to be weird. But I know it's going to be good. The Bible says it's better. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much that while there is a time to be born and a time to die, it's not something that we need to be terrified of. And Lord, I think some of us are more scared of the process than we are of the fact. But Lord, I pray that you would give us peace and comfort, but I also pray that you would give us a sense of urgency to speak and impress upon those who don't know you that they make a decision. Father, grant us wisdom, grant us courage, and grant us your peace as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.